Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Thanks, Rob. Um, we're going to continue in our sermon series in Galatians. Um, but to start off, I want to ask, have you ever been in a situation, have you ever been in a situation where you discovered someone's unspoken values or their ideals or the things that they find really important, um, but you didn't know? Have you ever bumped into that situation? Um, let me give you an example, and perhaps you can relate to this. Uh, my wife Jenny and I have been together for a good chunk of our lives now. I don't remember ex- the exact count, but there's a date coming in the future where we're going to like actually have been in a relationship for at least half of our lives, which is just an interesting thing to me. But anyway, we've been together for a while, but we've not always been together for a while. So at the beginning of our relationship, um, I was both getting to know her, she's getting to know me, and I was getting to know her family. And so there was one time while we were dating, um, we were out at dinner. And uh, I can remember being out at dinner, and we were all deciding what to order. We had our menus out, and I was pretty focused, trying to, you know, narrow down the options and decide what did I want on my plate uh, to enjoy for for the evening. So I was focused. I was honed in. Um, And then when the food comes out, and the plate sits in front of me, just exactly what I had ordered for myself, the aromas hit my nose, my mouth starts salivating, and I can't wait. It's going to be great. This, is, this was my choice. And I noticed something interesting, that some of my food began to leave my plate and land on Jenny's plate with the help of her fork and her hand. And I thought that was an interesting move. And so once I uh, composed myself uh, so as to not slap my girlfriend's hand at her family dinner table, um, I noticed that the rest of her family was sort of doing the same thing. That there was like this whole trade show happening in front of me that I'd, like something I'd never seen except for at my elementary school lunchroom. Um, Like, I'll have your gummies if you give, like, what's going on here? I intentionally made this choice and it is being stolen from me. This is upsetting. Um, You see, what was unspoken to me at this dinner table, or at least something I hadn't caught on to, was that Jenny's family values their meal in a different way that I value my meal. They have a couple different values that I hadn't, I didn't know. Um, one, experience, one value they had is experiencing the most of what like a restaurant has to offer. They, want, they don't want to be narrowed into one thing. So they have, I, I didn't know during, because I was focused in the menu time, they were like making deals. Like, okay, I'll get this if you get that, and then we can like split that part, and oh, I really like the fried green beans. Like, they were making these deals because they want to experience all of it. They don't want to just be boxed into one thing. Kind of cool. But I'd never experienced that, and so I was offended when my food began to leave my plate. Um, they also value like generosity and sharing and literally having a shared experience. So I'm not experiencing something entirely different on my plate than you are because we've got the same general stuff on our, on our plates and we're having this shared, generous experience together. Um, and it's just kind of a, an interesting thing. But again, I wasn't used to that. So that was new to me and eventually I became less 
selfish and less offended. And even still today, this is kind of how we order food. Jenny will go, well, I'm kind of between these couple of things. So if you want to get that one, <laughs> I'll steal that part. And, and so it's just something I've had to get used to. Well, that day I learned something about what Jenny's family finds important. I learned something about Jenny's family. Maybe you've encountered similar situations. Commonly, you think of this as like, um, are you more of a, of a destination person or are you more about the journey? Have you ever heard something like that? It's more about the, the journey than the destination. This is, this is another common way of looking at like values. Like usually the driver of a car on a trip is very efficient. Let's get to the place. We're not stopping to go to the bathroom. Just hold it. <laughs> We're going to get there. And then there are others in the vehicle sometimes who are like, yeah, but and they want to kind of enjoy the process. And those are, you can see where there might be a little budding of expectations, a budding of heads, because there's different values. What's, which one is more important? What's important to you? The point is, we all have different motivations uh, and things that we find important as we move through our daily lives. And knowing both what we hold important, being aware of that, and knowing what's important and what people around us value can help us to avoid frustration or awkwardness or slapping your girlfriend's hand in front of her father. Um, And even it can strengthen relationships as you begin to even bend to the values of those around you within reason, um, to bend and show love and show care because I know this is important to you and so I will do things this way a little bit. And so it's kind of an interesting relational thing that we can um, grow in as well. And so when it comes to faith, what is it that God values? Because if we let it, aligning our values, values, values with God is actually worship. That's worship, because all that worship is, is is just calling something valuable that God says is valuable. And so when those two things align, you're, you're worshiping with your life. And so I ask again, well, well, what does God value, and is there any way that we can know what those things are? And so as today we continue in the book of Galatians, Paul actually has some interesting things to say about that. Um, as he begins to ask some rhetorical questions about the law, which sounds super interesting, the law. And what does it mean for someone, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, if, if our standing and if our acceptance in God's family is only based on Jesus and what he's done, what do we do with like the rules and the regulations and things that we might find in the Old Testament, like do those matter? Or maybe you've asked some of these questions yourself. And I start talking about values because if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time or you're even just starting to consider it, we can get so caught up in trying to do what's right that we actually miss this much more beautiful thing of getting to know God better and knowing what he values, that it's less about getting it right, and more about, oh, you have a different value, and we can relate on a different level if I begin to bend and align my life with the things that you find important, God, and our, our lives become worship. 
And so I really hope today, as we kind of unpack a little bit of this, I hope it's helpful for you if you've ever had similar questions about what do we do with like all the rules? What, is it, what, ma- what does that matter? Um, and so let's just, let's just dive in. Let's go into Galatians chapter 3 today. Uh, we're going to start in verse 19. And so let's read it together. Paul says, Why then was the law given? Why was it given? If we, if we have Jesus, why was the law given? Well, it was given alongside the promise, the promise of Jesus, to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised, the child being Jesus again. And then we jump to verse 21, and Paul asks, is there a conflict then between the law and the rules that God lays out and the promises of God? Well, no, absolutely not, he says. If the law could give us new life, we'd be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin so that we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. And so there's a lot going on in chapter 3 in general uh, and way more than we have time to totally <laughs> uh, unpack this morning. But generally speaking, when, when Paul here is talking about the law, you might think of like the Ten Commandments and you would be partly right. Um, but throughout the Old Testament, there's like over 600 different commands and uh, laws that the ancient Jewish people uh, lived by. They, they guided the way that they, the rhythms of their life. And just as a side note, that is not an equal statement with what the Old Testament is. The Old Testament is not just laws and rules. It's not like a, a constitution that governs. It's, it's not what the Old Testament is. There are laws and rules in it and things like that. But largely, the Old Testament is even mostly story. There's like stories in there. And so I just wanted to make sure that that's clear. There's stories and poetry and all of it. Every bit of, of everything in the Old Testament, it all points forward to Jesus. All of it points forward to Jesus, and it sets up this cultural context that Jesus enters into. Um, And so much of what even Jesus says and does, like it's in the context of this history and tradition that we can read about in our Bibles. And so if you ever find something that Jesus says or does like kind of cryptic or that was a weird thing to say or what does that mean? a lot of times it's in reference to something, some sort of tradition or a specific text in the Old Testament. And that's why some of his words sometimes are like, what what does he mean by that? Because the things he says and does aren't happening in a vacuum. It's not just isolated and new. It's in this context in history and tradition. We can actually read the words of the scripture that Jesus knew. And so that's just an interesting thing. All that's a side note. But again, included in the Old Testament... um, and mostly in the first five books, are these laws and commands that guided the rhythms of life for the Jewish people, like holy days that they were to observe and feasts, uh, right down to even how do you lend and borrow money, uh, things to eat, things not to eat. There's all sorts of things. And then, of course, there's the rules, but then there's these specific provisions laid out for not if, but when you don't follow them all perfectly. (laughs) There's specific rules laid out for um, if you don't follow them perfectly. And this is where like animal sacrifices come into place and things like that. 
So Paul, back to Galatians, essentially asks this question for us. If, if all of this stuff is pointing forward to Jesus, if, it's all, if there was a promise all along, why did the law even come into play? Why was that even necessary? Because the, the God promised that Jesus was going to come all the way back in Genesis. Like, we had that promise all along, and so why did the law need to even happen? Why did we need that? And then he answers his own question. And he specifically says to show people their sins, which sounds not so fun. Literally, to show us that we can't keep all the rules. We can't do it. And it's not just that we, like, mess up sometimes, and if we, like, do a little bit better, we could get there. No, the the law shows us that we need to be rescued, we can't do it. It's not possible. And God's standard is high. And so we need to be rescued because on our own, we cannot be perfect. It's just not possible. And so the law shows us that we're not righteous, that as much as we would like to, to make ourselves righteous, we're not, and we can't do it. But the law also can't make us righteous. It can't do anything about it. It can show us that, like a mirror, but the mirror doesn't change your hairdo, (laughs) and the law can't make us whole. It can't do anything to save us, but it does point forward to Jesus who can. And so then, after this point, now that we sort of know why the law was there, then he lays out two interesting metaphors as he continues his conversation, his, uh, his letter. Two interesting metaphors to help us answer the next question that we sort of began with today, that if it all be pointed to Jesus, and we have Jesus now, what's the point for us now? Is, is there any value in the law and these stories and things like that? Is there any importance to, to me now? If I've already got Jesus, why, why would I need that? And so let's continue and see um, what he says in verse 23. He says, before the way of faith in Christ, before Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. These metaphors, I think, are really helpful for seeing our value, seeing the value of the, of the law now that we have Jesus. So first, Paul says that we're placed under guard, that, uh, in other words, we're like locked up, we're prisoners, um, not because God's mean and he's locked us up, but I like that the translation says that it's like protective custody, um, which is literally to protect the prisoner from themselves. It's a, it's a protective thing. But still by nature, it's still custody. There's still confinement. Um, because left to our own devices, there is eventually harm. And once again, the law shows us, by being in protective custody, that um, this, there's a seriousness <laughs> to, to, to sin and to the twisted ways that we see the world and act out 
there's a seriousness to it, and it's deep-seated, and we can't get out. And then Paul goes on, and he says it slightly differently. He says that the law is not just like a prison guard, a faceless prison guard, but then he uses the word guardian, guardian. Not just guard, but guardian. You think like, like a parental figure almost. Um, or a different translation used the word tutor. Um, so like there's, there's something to be, to be learned um, from, from the law. Um, something to be learned from someone who's like giving their time to like help you grow. A tutor or a guardian, this parental figure. I don't know what your parents are like or what your relationship with your parents are like, um, but we learn things from our parents. We learn things from our parents and the law and our relationship to it and our relationship to our parents, the way that it works is not all that dissimilar from a popular series of commercials that you may be familiar with from Progressive. We're gonna watch a few of them, check this out. Yeah, at first I thought it was just the stress of moving. Hey, who's using that? Think we own stock in the electric company? I will turn this car around right now. There's nobody back there. I was becoming my father. <clears throat> it's been an adjustment, but we're making it work. You know, Progressive.com makes it easy for us to get the right home insurance. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto. I saw the change in Rich when we moved into the new house, but having his parents over was enlightening. You don't like my lasagna? No, it's good. Mm. <laughs> Your blow? Blow on it? You see it, right? Is there a draft in here? I'm telling you, it's so easy to get home insurance on Progressive.com. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. And one more just for fun. To you, it may just be an elevator. Here goes nothing. But for a young homeowner becoming their parents, it's a learning opportunity. Come on in. <laughs> the more the merrier. Paris, huh? <laughs> Bonjour. We got any out-of-towners in the elevator? Tom, it is not easy. 10th floor, huh? Must be a heck of a view. Okay, so you everyone else is facing this way? Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money right, when you bundle home and auto with us. Okay, that was terrible. Okay, let's hang back, we're gonna try that again. That was terrible. I love these commercials so much. Um, they're funny. Um, partly because there's truth. Um, they're relatable. There's, they're, they're obviously over-exaggerated um, in most cases. Uh, but it's funny <laughs> because it's true for a lot of us that we, we make fun of our parents and, oh, you're so this way or that way. And then you make that same dumb joke to <laughs> the cashier or something. Um, I know I am 100% guilty of these things. But uh, the reason I bring these, these forward is to illustrate a little bit that as a child grows in their, their family, in their home, and eventually grows into adulthood and then leaves the home, it's not really the design that the child would completely toss out all of the values that they learned and were brought up into. That's, that's not really how it works. Of course, there are several independent choices, and I want to do things this way instead of that way, like mom and dad did. But there are these core values that 
you grow up into and you hold on to for the rest of your life. Like the way you eat at a dinner table and is my plate mine or is it to be shared? And so things like, like this and deeper and more important things too. It's not the design that when you grow up into adulthood that you just totally live a completely different life. There are certain core values that you hold on to. And then if it works out and you have kids, it gets passed on to the next generation and the next generation. So when Paul uses this like guardian language, he's instructing us that even now, even now with faith in Jesus, that we, now that we have this faith in Jesus, we're not to throw away the law and live according to a totally new set of values, an unrelated life. No, it's, it's, it's not that we no longer have any relation to the values in God's law, but that we no longer try to use it like it's a ladder to climb up to God. We don't try to use it as a system of salvation, but rather it's a signpost to our Savior. In Jesus, our hearts are freed from seeing the law in that way. We're, we're freed from that. We're no longer under captivity as a prisoner of performance. Rather, we're freed from that so that our hearts would become captivated by the one who sets us free. I'll say that again. In Jesus, our hearts are freed from the captivity of performance so that our hearts would become captivated by the one who sets us free. When we're, when we're no longer trying to earn our way into a relationship, we're free to just relate. And that's the point. There's, a, there's this guardianship here. We're no longer prisoners of performance trying to get it right so that God would accept us. We're no longer under captivity, but we are still led by the law and the values that the law shows us. What does God care about? We're led to then bend our lives and to align our values with the things that God values. And that sets our relationship with God on a whole different level. As we grow up in God's family, we're adopted before we ever commit to God's values. We're adopted before we ever live out those values, I should say. We get full access to God, and then we get to know God with our lives. We get to know what he cares about. And over time, as we continue to mature over the course of our lifetime, Progressive can help you with your car insurance, but we're still going to start looking a lot like our dad. And that's a good thing. It's super counterintuitive because even the way we see the world in our education system works totally opposite. We work hard all semester and then we get a grade at the end. Well, in Jesus, because of Jesus, we show up to the classroom of faith, if you will, and God gives us Jesus' report card, straight A's. And then he says, okay, let's learn. Now, which do you think is, is easier? If the whole goal is to relate to God and to become one with him, which is easier if you're super stressed out about this test at the end of the whole thing and if you're going to pass or not? Or if you know you've already passed because Jesus passed, 
and you get to just, you're just open to whatever. That's a whole different way of relating to God, and that's the point. And then Paul says elsewhere in other letters too, does that mean that, okay, well, we got a free pass, so we can just do whatever we want? No, (laughs) of course not. Like we said, we don't ignore the values of God's family. Even Jesus says in his own words, he says in Matthew 5, don't think that I've come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. And then he he even takes it like another step further. He said, you've heard, don't kill people, right? Good job. Also, don't hold grudges. And he like raises the bar in all these different ways as if we didn't get it already, that we can't do it. And Jesus came so that we didn't have to. And we were free to just relate to God in a different way. Jesus actually raises the, the, the bar. But our inclusion in the family of God is one thing that's never in question once our faith is in Jesus. And so that's one thing. We're freed from captivity, the captivity of performance, so that we can be captivated by the one who sets us free. And then there's one more thing I want to dive into here. Um, It's a different layer that goes beyond just us as individuals. If you noticed in the progressive commercials, part of the way they portrayed the child becoming their parents, part of the things that you notice is that they started to dress differently. Uh, the, the guy had like pearls or something and a, and a nice mustard cardigan. Or like Their clothes began to change. I didn't do this on purpose, which is kind of funny. Check out uh, Galatians 3, <laughs> the next verse, verse 26. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. This is, uh, again, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized in Christ Jesus have clothed yourself with Christ. You have clothed yourself with Christ. And there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. He says, you have clothed yourself in Christ. Now, Paul uses this in other places, too. It's sort of a a pet metaphor. Um, But it's helpful for uh, several different reasons. Um, Perhaps most obvious, your clothes say something about you. What you put on says something about you. Um, If if we came across somebody who's wearing a hard hat and like a safety vest, we might assume that person is employed by some form of construction company or something. The things that the person's wearing says something about them. Uh, If I were wearing a dress right now, you might be a little confused because that says something different about who I am than the way that I normally present myself. Um, Or the mosaic of stains on your shirt might say you're a parent of a toddler because these things just sort of happen. Um, The things that you wear say something about you. So to clothe ourselves with Christ is to go beyond all the little classifications, I'm a construction worker, I'm a mom, I'm a whatever, is to go beyond those things and to signal to others something about who we are and to say above all else, not with your physical clothes, but above all else, 
with your attitude and your demeanor, I'm a part of God's family, first and foremost. Above all else, clothe yourself with Christ. I belong to him. And the Jewish Christians who were coming in after Paul to these churches in Galatia, they were trying to add things on to faith in Jesus. They were trying literally with external signs, things that you could use to signal, um, namely circumcision, which I won't get super into, um, because I don't quite understand how that's an external sign, but I'm not going to, I really don't want to go into that. Um, But they have these external signs that they're pointing to so that um, these things can distinguish you as part of the family of God. And here Paul says, no, let the character and influence of Jesus in our lives, let that be the thing that distinguishes us. Let Jesus be the thing that distinguishes us and his influence on our lives and the way our lives are transformed as we begin to align our values with his, let that be the thing that distinguishes us. And that's actually a legitimate form of evangelism. Did you know that? Um, We normally think of evangelism um, as purely um, kind of this random initiation with people, whether we know them or we don't know them. And there's a ton of value in that. So don't hear me knocking it. There's a ton of value in that. But another form of evangelism is when the family of God lives out our values amongst other people in the family of God. And as non-Christians, as those outside the faith see us interacting, what they see is a little bit of what God's like because we value the things that God values. And that's a form of evangelism. That's a way that we can show the world what God is like. Literally, Jesus says, this is how they will know you're my disciples, by the way that you love one another. And then as Paul says um, in the family of God, he goes on and kind of has this little list. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Cultural differences do not elevate some in the family of God more than others. There's neither slave nor free. Your economic status how much you bring in each year, that does not elevate you or lower your standing against anybody in the family of God. Economic differences do not elevate some more than others. There's neither male nor female. Gender differences do not elevate some more than others. In Jesus, we are all on equal footing, not the same. Remember, equality is not the same as sameness but we're on equal footing, and so we're equally loved and therefore equal recipients of love between one another. If God loves us equally, then we are to associate with one another equally and not distinguish ourselves as higher or lower based on any of these things. And that says something about who God is, because that's not how the world works. The world does not work that way. And so to tie this whole thing back to the law, If I don't have to worry about elevating my status in order to be more acceptable to God or closer to God or however you want to look at it, by doing what's right or either by tearing others down, by pointing out the things that they're doing wrong, if I don't have to worry about the whole status thing because Jesus has leveled it, then I can begin living more fully because I'm free from worrying about me. I can worry about you because I don't have to worry about me. And that's a different quality of life. Or to say it in a different way, in Jesus, our hearts are freed, which we've already said. But they're also freed from the prison of self-preservation. 
We're freed from the prison of self-preservation so that we can more freely participate in the family of God. In Jesus, our hearts are freed from the prison of self-preservation so that we can more fully participate in the family of God. Um, If you're married or if you've ever been to a wedding, uh, it's super common for that to be like this open session for advice, um, which is a good thing. Um, And sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not so helpful. Um, But I remember at our wedding, lots of lots of people who were already married had advice they wanted to share a lot about communication and things like this. You can imagine. Um, But there was one piece of advice that we received during our wedding that stands up stands out above all the other things that were told to us and continues to this day to actually transform the way that we relate to one another. And so there we are, cute and innocent and lovely, a little thinner. (laughs) Um, But it it was the pastor who married us. He said simply, Robert, take care of Jenny. And Jenny... Take care of Robert. Now, if you both do that, you'll both be taken care of. And as simple as that sounds, it may be a little oversimplified, super helpful. Um, it's, one, it's been one of the most profound drivers of trust in our relationship. Um, because if I don't have to worry about me and am I taken care of, then I'm free to put my attention on my bride. When I come home, I don't, as much as I'd like to just kick up <laughs> and relax, I know that starting dinner at a reasonable time is important for the rhythms of our evening because then Emmett will get hangry and it's a whole thing. And so when I come home, if my day is not about me, then the day's not over, and I have more opportunities to put my attention on Jenny. And maybe I won't just make any old meal. Maybe I'll make her apricot chicken, which is her absolute favorite. And I know that both I'll be providing, and she will feel super loved, and she'll enjoy it. And then I know that maybe sometime later, I'll go back to the bedroom, and all the laundry that I haven't put away for days and days and days and days, suddenly it might actually get done. Um, because Jenny's taking care of me, too, and I hate putting away laundry. But she'll do it occasionally as a way to show, I'm here for you. I got your back. And we trust one another, and we love one another. And it's not a transaction. I know it sounds a little bit transactional. But our attention towards each other grows our intimacy. And obviously, we're not doing this perfectly all the time, but over time, we build trust because if I'm not worried about me, I can worry about you. In Jesus, our hearts are freed from the prison of self-preservation so that we can more freely participate in the family of God. One of the great benefits of being adopted into the family of God is getting the family of God, where we can encourage one another, we can serve one another, that's a way that we can show each other and show the world a little bit of what God is like. Church, since we are free from the captivity of the law, let's live freely, growing in God's family values, 
that the law reveals to us. Let's live freely. I don't know what God's tugging on your heart um, to do today with all this. Um, Maybe it's along the lines of learning about our Father, to grow your heart's desire to know him more by spending more time with him in truth, um, in his scripture, in prayer. Not because you think it'll make God like you more, but because you get to know more about what God is like. Or maybe the thing that God might be tugging on your heart is along the lines of participating in the family of God. Um, Who do you know who has a need that you could help with? Um, Or who would feel super seen and known because you decided to do something totally out of the blue just to show that you care? Maybe there's someone you need to forgive And the more we do these sorts of things amongst the family of God, we're telling not just ourselves, but each other and the world, this is what God is like. So since we are free from the captivity of the law, let's live freely, growing in God's family values that the law reveals to us. Would you pray with me real quick? Um, Jesus, we need you. Um, Father, thank you for revealing our need for you. And thank you for providing everything that we need. We need to be rescued, and thank you for providing a rescuer. Lord, we are utterly dependent on you, and I pray that this week that the family of God would get to know you, that we would approach you not with fear of what you might think of us, but with love because we know how much you care. Lord, find us at your feet. Find us in your lap like a child in their parent's arm. Lord, we want to get to know you better and help us as a community to encourage one another in the things that you value, to worship you with our lives. God, we want to know you more. In Jesus' name. Amen.